In the fictional world of the zombie apocalypse, there's one glaring reality that the characters in those stories have to face. They have to face the reality that if they want to survive, like it or not, they can't do it alone. I mean, they need other people. They, they need a community of people with different gifts and different abilities in order to survive the zombie apocalypse. In fact, in, in the AMC TV series uh, called The Walking Dead, one of the colorful, beautiful things about the series is really in the unique characters and the unique relationships that are that are forced together as they try to travel this real weird world. And characters that you'd never think would get along become indispensable to one another. And then characters that you think should fit very well become untrustworthy and they aren't a fit at all. And the, the reality is they use the buddy system and as they do, they're successful at surviving. Well, really, if you think about it, that's just absolutely no different than the non-fictional real world that we live our lives in. I mean, we too desperately need relationships. In fact, what, what we're doing in this series is we're, we're drawing metaphors out of that weird fictional world and we're seeing how much we can truly learn for our real lives. And here's the truth this weekend as we continue forward in the series. God has designed us to need each other. I mean, this is just the reality of the world. God, God created us and designed us to need each other, not to live in isolation, not to be able to do it on our, on our own, but, but to do it together. We're made for community, for relationships. In fact, as I've experienced life, as I see God's word unfold, and as I watch other people live out their lives, the, the reality is it's in the, the relationships that we're able to experience in life where where the color of our stories is really turned on and becomes vibrant. We, we experience the beauty of this world, not alone, but when we can share it with someone else together. And this is exactly what God told us, even at the beginning in creation. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's not good for him to be alone. And what God did at the very beginning was he, he created in a specific order so that he could forever stamp us with the reality that we, we will never experience the beauty of this life alone. He created Adam, and he was created perfectly in God's image. I mean, he had yet been unstamped uh, by any kind of failure. So he was a perfect guy. And that's hard for some of you women to imagine, isn't it? But he, he was a perfect guy, and, and he had a perfect relationship with God. I mean, he was walking with God. There was no division there yet, no separation there yet. And so here was this guy still in the image of God and walking with God, and he was in a perfect environment. He, he was in a place called paradise. So there, there was really nothing unbeautiful to scar this story. And yet, God still looks down in Genesis 2.18 and says, this isn't good. What's not good about it? I mean, he's perfect, he's in a perfect place, and he's got a perfect relationship with God. What's the problem? He wasn't created to be alone. In other words, you can be in a place of perfection in paradise and still be empty, experiencing darkness, that which is not good, unless you have someone to share the story with. We weren't designed to be able to enjoy life 
and loneliness at the same time. We were made for relationships. That's how God designed us. And yet, isn't it interesting, when, when we walked away from God, we also walked away from each other. When our relationship with God was messed up, our relationships with one another were messed up, and, and everything started falling apart. And so by nature now, what happens is we tend to do life alone. Oh, we can even be in a crowd, but still be totally alone. We, we tend to handle things on our own. It's just easier. We tend to try and to become successful on our own. We tend to try and overcome our problems on our own. When we're driving and we're lost, we tend to try and find our way when we're alone. Right, guys? Yeah, okay. So here's the thing. It's not the way it was meant to be. There was a guy named Moses in the Old Testament. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, actually. And, and he was used in a great way, a profound way. He was called of God to come and lead his people, God's people, out of 400 years of bondage in a place called Egypt. It was the superpower nation of the day. And, and he, he did it. He was successful, and God stamped him with power. I mean, he did unbelievable miracles. He, you know, was used of God, and the Red Sea parted, and he led God's people away, and, and yet he was trying to do it all alone. And look what happens in Exodus chapter 18, in verse 17, when Moses' father-in-law shows up. He says, what, are, what, what you're doing right now, Moses, is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. And what Moses did was he made the mistake that most of us make. He said, oh, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'll do it on my own. And there were millions of people that he was responsible for. And he was trying to be the sole leader. And it wasn't working. It never works when we try and do something alone because God designed us to need each other. And so his father-in-law told him, look, this is, this is something you need to do in community. And so God's given some people the capacity to lead groups of 10. So why don't you pick out every single leader who can lead a group of 10 and divide these millions of people into groups of 10 so everybody has a relationship and someone that they can talk to. And then God's given some other people capacity to lead groups of 100 so that every 10 groups and those leaders can have someone to talk to. And then the same with thousands and the same with 10,000. And when you build this community of leaders, his father-in-law said, you'll all be able to share the burden and then you'll be able to do what only you can do and they can do these things and it'll work great and it did. Moses had to learn and we have to learn that we weren't designed to do it alone. There's no great work that can ever be done alone. We need each other. And then when God was talking about his church and his church isn't a building with a steeple, you know, good thing we don't have one here at Northridge. His church isn't bricks and mortar and structure and organization and denomination. His church is his people. And when he was talking to his people, he knew what our tendency was, and that was to do it alone, to try and solve all our problems on our, uh, by our, our, our lonesome. And he said, that's not how it's supposed to be. He, and he actually said he's designed his church to work kind of like a physical body. Look at how he says it in 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 18, but in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. He's saying, look it, in order to be functioning the way we need to function in this world, we need each other. Because each of us is a different part. Each of us plays a different role. And together we can walk and talk and see. But without each other we can't do anything. 
And so we can actually learn this from the zombie apocalypse deal. They can't survive unless they use the buddy system. We can't survive. We can't become all God's created us to become unless we build relationships with one another. So here's the application. If we're going to spiritually survive in this world, if we're really going to seize on the potential God's given us and become, we have to always use the buddy system. And that's what we've called this talk. Use the buddy system. It's one of the big survival tips you need to survive in this world. We can't do it alone. So I want to encourage you. Seek and develop and maintain long-term relationships that will strengthen your life and help you to achieve your potential. Live out Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Look what it says. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, well, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. One brand can be broken. One strand can be broken easily, but not three. And I have to tell you, this is... The reality of my life. I've had a lot of failures in life and I've had some areas where I've experienced some great positive impact, some color in my life. And I'm going to tell you, the places with the color, the places with the beauty, the places with the success and the impact are the places where I've been in community with other people, in relationship with other people. My failures come when I'm isolated and alone and I try and do it on my own. My successes come when I do it together. One of the great successes of my life happens to be found in my marriage. And I know um, not everyone gets to experience what I've experienced, but Roxanne and I are in our 36th year of marriage, and we have this beautiful, beautiful relationship. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but marriage doesn't really work alone. Have you kind of noticed that? It's kind of very destructive to it. And so this, this truly most beautiful thing I've ever experienced, this, this ongoing journey with Roxanne for so many years could only happen with two people who are all in and devoted to each other. And, and I'll be honest with you, we're, we're not the sum of our parts, two individual people. We, we, are, we are more than that. Together we have become so much more than either of us could have ever imagined alone. And it's because that's how God designs life to do it together, but it's not just in marriage. Some of you will never be married, and that's great. That's okay. That's cool. Uh, and some of you have been married and have gone through brokenness, and I get it. That's painful. It's hurtful, but it doesn't mean that you can't experience God's best in your life. The truth is, it's not just in marriage, but even when you're married, you still need other people in your life. You're not supposed to live in isolation. We need each other. Roxanne and I, even with the relationship we've had, I'm going to tell you, would have, would have never been able to take the, the journey we've taken in our ministry lives here at Northridge had it not been for the buddy system and having other people in our lives. And a lot of you come into Northridge, you go, wow, this is a pretty awesome place. And, and it is. God's doing some unbelievable things here, has been, and will continue to do it. But, but you know, Northridge hasn't always been a church like this. Uh, it has great heritage way back, but... When I came in, I was a 32-year-old young guy when I came as the pastor of this church 25 years ago now. And, and um, I have to tell you, I was 32, and the average age in the church at that time was 172. That was the average age. It was, 
it was an old, ancient church. I mean, they had lost several generations, and no young people were basically going there. Very few young people were going there, and it was, it was old and dying. It had been declining for three and a half decades. They were, they were an extremely traditional church in a very non-traditional area, and they were speaking languages that no one could understand in this generation. And so um, I was brought in... I was called by God to come and lead kind of out of that place into a new territory. But when you lead that way, away from tradition, away to what people are used to, and when you're 32 and everybody else is 172, you know that's a, there's some conflict in that. And I'm joking about the 172, but you get the point. And it's, I was not the favorite guy in this church uh, when I came to pastor this church. I just, I wasn't. It wasn't good times. In fact, I'd just be curious because I'm almost here 25 years now, how, how many of you were here, and it won't be many, but how many of you were here when I came as pastor? You see how few hands they are. Everybody else left. Uh, <laughs> actually, everyone else died. Uh, not really, but it, it's like it was a very, very rough time. Discouraging. I mean, I was really trying to do what I felt was right, and I made lots of mistakes along the way, and I've grown and learned, but I... Uh, it was discouraging. I mean, I had very, very, very angry things said to me, very mean things said, and it was discouraging for Roxanne and I. But, but you know how we made it? We made it because we didn't have to carry the burden alone. About a year into my ministry, I was privileged to uh, recruit a young couple uh, into the ministry um, who uh, became my music pastor and working kind of in the ministry in the main office area. They're still here, actually, Paul and Jerry Black, and they, they're great people, awesome. And, um, and they, when they came in, I mean, they just became our best friends. It's like um, we had the same dreams for ministry, the same call. We were here because God wanted to use us to take us somewhere, but it wasn't easy. We were fighting this fight together. And, I mean, it, it really could get discouraging. We tried so hard, and people just didn't respond for a while. It was like Paul would lead in, in music, you know, and then I'd come and do teaching, and we'd have the same experience. And you... you you might not know this, but we're not always necessarily the most spiritual people up here. I don't know if you know this, but one time Paul was trying to lead music, and he was done, and he was leaving, and I was coming to give my talk, and he looked at me, and he goes, he goes, Brad, I can't find their pulse. I can't find their pulse. You know, they weren't relating to the music that he was trying to sing, and I said, don't worry, they don't have a pulse. They've been dead forever, you know, that kind of thing, and I, we were always very loving and kind up here, and but, I mean, we were commiserating. And so uh, what we did is we, through this relationship that forged, we encouraged one another. So after every Sunday morning service, and I mean every, we, we both had, uh, both families had three kids, and we were young. And after the services, we'd, uh, every, every single Sunday, we'd go to Chi-Chi's. Had anyone ever heard of Chi-Chi's Mexican restaurant? Yeah. It was such a great restaurant that it went bankrupt. It's no longer in existence. And, uh, but uh, we'd go every single Sunday to Chi-Chi's because they had 99 cent kids meals, right? I mean, we're really cheap. We're poor, cheap. 99 cent kids meals. That's probably why they went bankrupt, come to think of it. But anyway, they, we'd hang out there and we'd kind of encourage each other and charge each other up and we'd remind each other of the dreams and we'd spend time together and it was, it was, it was how we would make it. And then back in those days, we then had Sunday night services too, right? 
And it, it, let me describe it for you. It was a lot less people, and it was the meaner people. Uh, Sunday night, church. And so we had to kind of get up our energy to, to go, and, and we would. And then, boy, the experience could be difficult. And, and then every single Sunday night, the two families, and I'm talking, every Sunday night we'd go to Ground Round. I don't know if you've ever heard of Ground Round restaurant. It was in Livonia. And we went there because they charged the kids' weight so it was like if they weighed 32 pounds, it was 32 cents to buy them a meal. This was awesome. So I'd buy the kids' ribs, pay 32 cents, and I'd eat them. It was awesome. And it's not exactly how it worked. I, that would have been dishonest. And I'd never be dishonest, of course. But, um, so, but we would encourage each other. These kinds of relationships were our salvation. I'm telling you, I would have never, ever made it in ministry through those days without friends like that. I couldn't have. Couldn't do it alone. And these kinds of relationships are still saving us because, you know, life is still hard and ministry is still hard and making tough decisions is still hard and there are still some huge disappointments in life. And, and God's added all kinds of new... We're kind of rich in relationships now. He's added all kinds of new relationships into our lives, but we couldn't, we couldn't do it without them. But here's, here's what makes me sad. So many of you don't have relationships like this. I mean, we live in a world of isolation and rugged individualism and loneliness is so profound in our world. And it's just not right. It's not healthy. And as God looks down, he says, it's not good that we should be alone. And so we want to be, we're, we're far from a perfect church. As soon as I became the pastor, we became far less perfect. But we want to be the kind of church where those of us who know what failure's like, which is all of us, who have flaws that haunt us, which is all of us, who are broken in our own unique ways, can come in and find relationships where we don't have to pretend to be something we're not. And, you know, we can find people who can encourage us and affirm us and help us through the journey. And so I, I just thought what I would do is I would, I would share some of the kinds of relationships that we need to have if we're going to survive in this world, if we're going to become. And every single one of the things I'm going to share are both what God tells us is true, biblical, but also what has helped me to survive in my life and ministry. So I'm sharing out of the, the reality of my experiences. But I, I want to encourage you, use the buddy system. You will never become all you're supposed to become alone. Not even Moses could. Not even Jesus could. You were made and designed to need other people. Seek them out. Use a place like this to find relationships that can help you take the journey of life in a better way. If we're going to have the right relationship, if we're going to survive in this world, we need, we need examples in our life who can show us the way. We, we need people who kind of set the pattern of how we could or should live our lives, and we need to follow them as models in our life. The Bible's filled with this truth. Look at Philippians 3.17. Join with others in following my example, brothers, the Apostle Paul says, and, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. He's saying, look at there are some people who are living really great lives. Use them as a pattern. I'm one of them, and other people who are following me, follow their pattern. Look at Jesus himself said it in John 13, 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Come on, follow my pattern. And the truth is, 
We are going to follow someone's pattern. The question is, will we intentionally choose someone who's a positive pattern or not? Many of us just kind of take the patterns we were shown, and, you know, we were put in this home, we were done in this thing, and all that different stuff, and we just do it. No, we should intentionally choose out positive models and positive patterns. That's what Paul's saying. Follow my example. Follow people who are following my example. Follow Jesus' example. Choose the best patterns. And I'm going to tell you, without good patterns and models in my life, I would have never made it in any area. I had no clue about how to be married, you know? And... and and so I had to choose out positive models who, who kind of set the pattern ahead of me and I could learn what it was like to... Well, Roxanne chose out the models and told me to follow them. So, um, but you, you get it. You have to have positive patterns. But it, I also needed an ministry. I had never led churches before. And so I had to find people who had and who had experienced things I was going to experience and, and learn from them and... The same in finances, the same in my spiritual life, the same in personal life. You know how you learn to forgive. You find someone who has gone through a profound season of forgiveness and, and you kind of follow their pattern. And I found usually one person doesn't represent all the patterns I need. I follow different people in relational areas than I do in ministry areas and personal areas. But I have found one of the great problems in life is many of us never have a relationship with someone who's setting the example in a positive way for us to follow. And so we struggle. Choose an example. Choose models. We need to build those kind of things. And if you can't find them personally, find their books, right? Find their talks. Follow them from afar. I've done that in my own life at times. If we're going to survive in this world and fulfill our potential, we, we also need to have relationships with people who can provide positive counsel in our life and good advice, who can speak objective truth into what we're doing, not doing, what we could be doing and should be doing. And I, my life has been rescued time and time again because there were people who knew me well enough that they could see when I was stepping off path. They could see when I was making the wrong choice. They could see when I was moving in the wrong direction or doing the wrong, or becoming the wrong guy. And, and they could speak into that. Look at how God says it in Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. I mean, we need people who can speak truth into our lives. And Proverbs 19, 20. Listen to the counsel or advice of others and accept instruction and in the end you'll be wise you you don't start out wise but if you get the right kind of counsel in your life you can become wise we really do need relationships with people who can be our counselors and and it requires some things if we're going to if we're going to have people who can truly be wise counselors in our life then then we have to be willing to ask good questions and this this is an important thing do you know what you'll never get if you never ask a question? You'll never get an answer. And yet most of us, because we're like Moses trying to do stuff on our own, I can figure it out. I, and I have this, I've got this messed up chip in my brain that, that wants to be so creative that I can do it on my own. And he pioneered that. And he invented that. And he created that. The only problem is it just doesn't work. I need others. And, and so I've, along the way, because I've failed so many times, I've realized if I ask good questions of people, I'll get good answers from people, and it can help become advice for my life. 
And so I've asked relational questions and I've asked ministry questions and leadership questions and personal questions and, and these people then have become counselors and advisors in my life and I've succeeded more because of their impact in my life. I, I love this verse in Proverbs. Look at, look at uh, chapter 20, verse 5. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. This is talking about all humanity, not just men. And it's saying humanity is made up the heart... There's all kinds of deep waters in there, but if you're going to pull them out, it takes a person of understanding. And I found I need to have a relationship with people who can get inside there and pull it out and, and ask me good questions. And I found that when I start asking questions of others, it opens them up to start asking questions of me. And it starts drawing things out. And I'm at my best when I'm asking questions and they're asking questions because we're getting down into the deep waters that can often be confusing and hard. And many people don't have counselors like this in their lives. If, if you're going to have people who can provide great advice and counsel in your life, that kind of relationship, then, then you have to seek honest evaluation. You have to truly seek honest evaluation of your life. I look at Proverbs 15, verse 31, 32. He who listens to life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. You'll get wise if you listens to, listen to people's correction of you. But he who ignores discipline, life-giving rebuke, despises himself. You're going to hate your choices and what you end up being because on your own you'll never get there. And this says, but whoever heads correction, heeds correction, gains understanding. You see, we draw counselors and people who can advise us when we seek honest evaluation, when we don't want honest evaluation, people stop trying to help. I, I can close myself off to people really quickly, and so can you, and the truth is most of us do, because we don't want it. When someone says, hey, you know, maybe you could do this, shut up. I don't want anything to do with that. But, but it, when we go, oh, thanks, it starts opening them up to give us counsel. I, I remember in the early days when I first got married, I... Uh, you know, I have, I've told you this before, I'm kind of a legend in my own mind. And uh, I, when I got married, I thought I was like an awesome, how, how lucky was Roxanne to have me was kind of my thought. I'd look in the mirror and I'd say, how lucky is Roxanne to have me? Seriously, every babe in the world would love to have me, right? You know, and I'm, you know, I'm, look, and I'm just trying to be honest, we're all pretty egotistical on the inside. And, and, and so one day I went to Roxanne and, and I said, you know, you know, how awesome is it to be married to me? I didn't ask it like that, by the way. Um, uh, you know, how am I doing as a husband kind of a deal? And, you know, I thought she was just going to say, you're awesome. You're every girl's dream. I'm so lucky to have you. You know, please stay with me. But instead, she said, you're, you suck. <laughs> and I was like, what? I'm awesome. No, you're not. And, and because I wanted to have a good marriage and I wanted to be a good husband, I didn't want to hear her tell me I sucked, but... But I started processing what she was saying. And when I sought honest evaluation and got it, and with my wife, trust me, you always get it, um, I was able to start making changes and becoming a better husband than I was on my own. The same thing in leadership, the same thing in every area of my life. But you know what most of us never do? We never seek honest evaluation. We don't want someone telling us the truth. We want someone telling us what we want to hear. But that means we're doing life on our own. And we'll never become what we need to become. You'll never have great counselors walking with you if, if you shut yourself off to evaluation. And I, I've profited so much from having all kinds of people around my life who are counselors. 
You know, I ask questions, they ask me questions. They're drawing stuff out of me, and, and I'm seeking honest evaluation, and they're giving it, and I'm trying to make corrections. But, you know, there are times when we need to go beyond our everyday counselors, and we need sometimes someone professional. I mean, you know, uh, like a trained psychiatrist or a trained psychologist, and so many of us are so afraid of the stigma of that. And I don't think everybody has to go to a psychiatrist, but I do believe that many of us get in real trouble and we need someone who is really trained and we're unwilling to do it because of the stigma. But you know, living a failed life is a greater stigma than seeking good counsel in life and becoming successful. And I think we should be willing to step into that. I, I went through a season where I had Graves' disease, and it's, it's a, they had to kill my thyroid, and I went through a real messed up time, and physiologically messed up, but psychologically it really affected me, and, and I just was honest about it, and I got with a professional counselor and spent time, and it helped me so much to know from that expertise that what I was going through was normal, that I could get through it, how to go through it, some of the techniques to get through it, how not to kill people along the way, that kind of thing. It was very... It was very helpful. And I just want to encourage you, when you need help, you need help. And we all need help every day. Sometimes we need specialty help, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know what? It's very human to need help. And we'll never become until we admit we're human. But you have to be discerning if you're going to have counselors in your life, people you know, evaluating you. You have to be discerning with you. Don't, don't just trust everyone. I, almost everyone I ever meet gives me counsel. And I have to become really good at being nice while I tell them to bug off. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you, 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 don't, you don't run my life. I'm sorry. You don't even know who I am. You don't see from the inside out. Your agenda isn't going to work or whatever. But, but I have to have people whom I trust. And the reason you can't trust everyone is look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 14. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as a messenger of light. You need to be really, really careful because there are some people who claim to be really spiritual, who would love to be your counselor, who aren't really spiritual at all. There are some people who would love to be your teacher and love to be your guide. There are some people on TV teaching and on the radio and people writing books whom, whom will only hurt you instead of help you. You need to be discerning of whom you trust. Don't just trust anyone. Trust people who have a bit of a track record that's provable. It's one of the things I've always wanted to be as a spiritual teacher. I don't want to be a person who pops into your life for a day and then's gone. I've been in the same place for nearly 25 years, living my life in public in front of people, teaching God's word, not perfectly and flawed. But let me just tell you something. There's a bit of a track record here. Same with our teams and our staff and our ministries. Look for people whom you can trust and who have a track record. If we're going to ultimately survive in this world, then, then we need partners to walk with us. We need partners to walk with us. 
two are better than one, as Ecclesiastes 4.9 said. Even, even Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the world, knew he needed partners if he was going to transform the world. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 7. He went around calling the 12 to him. He, he put together a community of 12 people, and then he sent them out when he was training them two by two. He, he didn't send them one by one. He sent them two by two. He sent them out together. And gave them authority over evil spirits. And here's the reason. God did not design us to walk alone. God did not design us to live alone. God did not design us to choose alone. God designed us to need each other. And Jesus could have lived an awesome life and then died. And nothing would have happened. But because he chose out 12 and 11 of them did okay in the end. The world was changed because they took what he invested in them and they spread it to the world because then they chose people and, and did life with others. Too many of us don't have partners. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, again, he says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called, what's that next word? Them. Didn't say God called Saul, God called Barnabas, God called them. And their ministry was world-changing because they did it together. And then Paul went on with Silas, and Paul went on with Timothy and Titus, and Barnabas went on with John Mark. And they always served together. Why? Because God didn't design us to serve alone. And yet we live in a world where many of us are doing it alone. You say, oh, no, I'm always with other people. Just because you're with other people doesn't mean you're doing life with other people. You've got to open up. You've got to be in relationship. Who are your partners in life? Some of you are married and you don't even live as a partnership. That's crazy. In business, many of you don't understand it's a partnership. It's a partnership. This thing about it's about the employer or the employee, it's about a partnership. We need each other. We all have different gifts and we need to start living in this partnership. Church is the same way. Life is the same way. But I want to caution you here. This is where life can get sticky because if we're not wise in the partners we choose, we could be actually committing ourselves to destruction. The Bible makes it really, really clear that we have to be careful who we decide to partner with in life, join our life to. You know, partnerships where we, we covenant together, we yoke ourselves together, and, and we're dependent on each other, which means if we fail, we do it together. If we succeed, we do it together. And you have to be careful. Look what God says about it in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 and 15. Don't be yoked together in partnership together with unbelievers if you're a believer. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Nothing. Morals are different. Values are different. The truths are different. The, the dreams are different. The goals are different. One's eternal, one's temporary. And you're going to really get messed up if you go into a partnership with that. And I'm not telling you to blow up partnerships you already have or marriages you already have, but I'm telling you, if you have the choice in entering a partnership, don't do it with someone of conflicting values. Because that becomes worse, not better. Harder, not easier. Roxanne and I got lucky. We, we have a lot of friends that didn't make it and just turns out that she and I had just common life values and we've grown in those values together so that we complement each other. We don't take each other down. 
Now, some of you are going, so wait a minute, I can only hang out with believers if I'm a believer? I'm never supposed to hang out? I didn't say hang out. The truth is, believers are supposed to hang out with unbelievers. Believers are supposed to be light and darkness. People who don't know Jesus need to have great relationships with people who do know Jesus. Those are our thems, and we should have those relationships. That's how we make disciples and share Jesus, but we shouldn't enter partnerships with them. There's a difference. Do you understand that? And some of you know the brokenness that comes when you do this. So be careful. That's why I believe God said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's why he gave us spiritual communities like this because there needs to be a place where we can find people of common value, of common uh, commitment, of common passion, where we can build relationships. This is why we have groups here and all kinds of connection points here because we want you to be able to create relationships and partnerships and find counselors who, for, with people who have great values. But when we go out from here into the world... We should be living light in relationship with our neighbors and our coworkers and sharing Jesus with them too. So it's like this great relationship we can have that strengthens us. There's a great illustration I found about this partnership thing. There was a guy named, is a guy named Gary Scott. He wrote a book called Summit Strategies. And Summit Strategies is kind of built on the whole mountain climbing principle deal. And, and then he, he, he was talking about the challenges that we face in our individual lives and all of us do. So he said, the, here are some secrets to mastering the Everest in your life. So it's like he takes the challenges that we're facing in life and he compares it to Mount Everest and, and the principles of mountain climbing. In one section he says, when your life is at stake, choosing your partners wisely is one of the most important preparations you can make. Boy, that's dead on. And he tells the story of two very experienced mountain climbers, really talented and experienced mountain climbers who, who agreed to uh, go to a special climb to a new summit with two other mountain climbers they had never met. But they assumed they were great mountain climbers and, you know, committed, etc. But as it turns out, crisis happened on the way to the summit and these two climbers that these experienced guys didn't know were in a position where they could have saved the two experienced climbers and that was their role but they decided to protect themselves and they took off and they left those two to die and one of them did and this guy said the two experienced climbers made a very costly mistake by choosing to go on an extremely dangerous undertaking without really knowing their teammates. And you know, we do that in life. There's nothing more dangerous than the journey of life, friends. And the partners you choose will make you or break you. We need to pick the right people to partner with, people with similar values, people who have proven they care more about more than just themselves, people we can count on and trust even in the tough times. The truth is, in this world, our lives depend on other people. We need to choose the right people to count on. If we're going to survive in this world, then, then uh, we need friends to support us. I mean, another kind of relationship. We need friends to support us. This has been valuable for Roxanne and I. I've already described a little bit of it. We, we need friends who will pick us up when we're down. We need friends who will, even sometimes at risk of themselves, help to protect us when we're in danger. Ecclesiastes 4.10 describes friendship. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Do you have friends like that that put themselves at risk? Because if you don't, you're in serious trouble because in this world, crisis is going to come. I, I thought a picture was worth sharing here. 
Watch. The calf's still alive. It is? Yeah, it's trying to get away. Got the lion on him, run. It's standing up. Isn't that a great Mother's Day video, right? <laughs> but those, I, I love that. It's a really old video, one of the first things posted on YouTube, really. But uh, I, I, it's so apropos here. I mean, that little, that little water buffalo was going to be destroyed by those lions. And then, and then comes the Calvary, right? I mean, that's what we need in friendship. People who are willing to protect us and reach out and help us. Because together, do you realize together... We can stand against what we will always fall to alone. And we need friends that will love us when we're unlovable, to be honest. Uh, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. I, I find I really don't need that much love when I'm feeling lovable. I mean, when I'm feeling lovable, I'm loving on me quite a bit, you know? I mean, but when I'm unlovable I desperately need someone to love me to speak love into my life it changes me and we need friends to do that but most don't have those kind of friends we need friends who are love us enough to rebuke us when we're wrong to tell us we're getting off track Proverbs 27 6 wounds from a friend can be trusted most of us don't have people that love us enough to risk the friendship to tell us the truth. And we're suffering as a result. We, we need friends to stretch us to our potential. We really do need friends that will help us to be better. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need friends like this. Do you know, what? Do you know why most don't have friends like this? I'm just trying to be honest here, because most don't. You know why most friends don't have like this? friends like this it's because to have friends like this please get this to have friends like this you need to be a friend like this I mean look at Proverbs chapter 18 verse 24 in the New King James a man who has friends must himself be friendly and I just want to give you a word of caution because I see you in this ministry from a different angle than you do and there are a ton of people who come to Northridge and we're glad you're here but you come to Northridge, and it's kind of like the Fox Theater to you, in a sense. You, you come in, and you, you, know, you sit, 
You don't talk to anyone. You don't invest in anyone. You don't build community. You don't take next steps into groups or connections and all that. And you leave and you come, you sit, you leave. But you know, here's what's going to happen just like with those mountain climbers. Listen to me. Crisis is going to come. And from my view, I'm going to tell you what happens. When you come in and all you do is invest in yourself and leave and invest in yourself and leave and invest in yourself and leave, and we're glad you're here. But when you do that, when crisis comes, there's not going to be anyone from here there for you. Not because we don't care, we do. Not because we wouldn't be there if we knew. We just don't know. When you're not here, how would we know it? You've never interacted with us. When you're not here and a crisis is going, how would we know? We've never met you. There are other people who come in and they invest in others. They're the right kind of friend to people. And you know what happens? They miss one weekend and they get a hundred calls, people wondering if they're okay, what's going on? Can we help you? Can we do anything for you? You know, we miss you. Why? Because they've invested themselves in being the right kind of friend. And I'm telling you, most of us lead lonely lives not because no one will care, but because we've never been the right kind of friend ourselves. And I just challenge you. There is a lot of wonderful potential here for relationships that you'll never experience unless you start being that kind of friend. It'll change your life. And once we start having these kind of relationships, you know, people who can be models for us and show us the way and counsel us and, and you know, partner with us and be friends that are there for us, then you know what we should make sure we're doing? We should make sure that we're then paying that forward into other people's lives and putting us out, putting ourselves out there for other people. Look at 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses... Entrust to reliable men who will be able to do the same thing with others. We need to be pouring ourselves out. Jesus didn't need anyone, but he invested himself in the 12 and others so that they could go out and do the same thing, and that changed the world, and we need to invest ourselves in others. And I'm really excited. Uh, we have three pastors on staff who are putting together, and I've been meeting with them, putting together a series for for. Uh, the weeks after this series and I'm going to tell you I'm so excited because it's going to take deep dives into the kind of relationships we can develop and how to develop those relationships it's going to I think really be impacting here to this Northridge community to you I hope that you'll be a part of that but but the foundation of this whole thing comes back to God because many of us are struggling with our horizontal relationships can't find models can't find counselors can't keep friendships having a hard time with the whole partner thing and and we're struggling we're working we're trying but we can't get it done and the reason is you will never ever have the right kind of horizontal relationships until you have the right vertical relationship i mean the bible makes this very clear i mean in the creation story when Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God, do you know what they had with each other? A perfect relationship. When their relationship with God fell apart, you know what happened to their relationship with each other? It fell apart. You see, cart before the horse. The horse is your relationship with God, then the cart follows it. And you can't fix your human relationships until you fix your relationship with God. That's where it starts. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us, but if we're not experiencing his love, the only thing we do is live for ourselves. And Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? And he couldn't give just one. 
Interesting. He said, well, you know, the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. But I can't stop there because if you love God that way, you'll also love others as yourself. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, look at when your relationship with God gets messed up, your relationship with others gets messed up. And that's a mess because, you see, we were designed to need each other. And when our relationships are broken, we're broken. And We'll never experience life like it's supposed to be. But then God tells us, but when our relationship with God gets fixed, then our relationship with others gets fixed. And what happens? We start experiencing life as it was meant to be. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone's in Christ, they become a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The brokenness of our relationships is gone. The new has come, but we need Jesus. And I really want to encourage you here. I mean, you have to make the choice. You have to pursue the, solu pursue the solution in your life. And I, I, I know for a fact, I, I mean, right now I'm here in Plymouth speaking at Northridge Plymouth, but we're also speaking live to those of you at Northridge Brighton, and we're so thrilled that you're a part of Northridge, part of our one church in four locations family. And I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at right now, I, I, I believe God's speaking to you. I believe there are issues in the truths that I've shared that you're wrestling with or you need to. And some of you can wrestle on your own. You're going to go out. But remember, this whole relationship's about how we're not supposed to wrestle on our own. We're supposed to be in community with one another. And we've put together a prayer team here at Northridge. And their whole purpose is to, you know, answer questions, to help people wrestle through what they're dealing with in their relationship with God. Some of you have never even yet trusted Jesus to forgive you and to save you. And they can help you make that decision. They can pray with you or pray for you. And I, here's what I want to encourage you. I'm going to pray to end this service. And when I pray, most of you are going to leave. And we're so grateful that you came. And we hope you have a happy Mother's Day. But, but when everyone's leaving, if God's talking to you and you'd like someone to talk to about it or you'd like someone to pray with, just come forward and sit in the front seats here. And the prayer team will come in in a very appropriate way, help you out. And if you're watching online, I hope that you'll contact us and let us help you as well because you don't have to figure the God stuff out alone and you don't have to figure out the life stuff alone. We have each other and we can do it together. But let's end this weekend service with prayer. God, I just thank you so much for each person who's here. And I just pray that not one of us would leave here feeling like we have to do life all alone. I pray that we would know that we're supposed to do life together and we can do life together. And I pray that each and every one of us would, would be pursuing the right relationship with you so that in you we can pursue the right relationships with one another. And when that happens, God, I pray that we would experience not just life and fullness, but that you would use us to make a difference in this world. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, look it. It's a zombie apocalypse out there. But you can survive with each other. So don't do it alone. Let's do it with each other. Have a happy Mother's Day. We'll see you next time.